watchers in the fourth dimension. I'd like to see a butterfly fit into a chrysalis case after it spread its wings. I never talk nonsense. <clears throat> well, hardly never. Life depends on change and renewal. Hello and welcome back to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. I'm Anthony. I'm Don. I'm Julie. And I'm Riley. I saw the Daleks and they were duplicating. This episode, we're off to the planet Vulcan with our new star, Patrick Troughton, where the new Doctor will do battle with his oldest of enemies. No, I'm not talking about Zar and Cal, I'm talking about the actual old enemies. That's right, it's the power of the Daleks. Before anything else... The new star of the show, making his full debut in this story is the one and only Patrick Troughton. It's hard to emphasise in 2020 just how well-known of an actor he was at the time. He'd been a regular sight on British TV, taking lead roles in shows since the early 50s, and some of his notable credits include turns as the titular character in the 1953 adaptation of Robin Hood, Sir Andrew Fawkes in The Scarlet Pimpernel, Alan Breck in Kidnapped, Eddie Goldsmith in Compact, and Dr. Manette in A Tale of Two Cities. Suffice to say, he was well known to the general public, and William Hartnell apparently declared him as the only person who could possibly succeed him in the role. So that's quite the stamp of approval. After he had agreed to play the part, the team got working on developing his character and his associated costume. It was decided that he shouldn't simply ape Hartnell's portrayal, and he started working on his own characterization. Simultaneously, the crew were working on his costume, and after much deliberation, part of which included Troughton's suggestion that he be blacked up and play the role as kind of a Sinbad pirate captain, he was presented to Sidney Newman dressed as a Victorian-era windjammer captain. Newman took one look at this costume and said, oh, hell no, and suggested that Troughton should play the Doctor as a cosmic hobo. With that in mind, the costume team eventually decided on dressing him in a shabby echo of Hartnell's costume. Meanwhile, they also got working on his debut story. Innes Lloyd, the producer, was naturally very concerned over how the general public would react to the change in lead actor, and so sought to anchor the show to its past by pitting the new Doctor against his old enemies, the Daleks. With Terry Nation off working on ITC's show The Baron, another writer had to be brought in, and they agreed that original story editor David Whittaker would be a suitable candidate. Interestingly enough, Whittaker's first draft of the script revealed that the Doctor had been renewed several times in the past, specified his age as 750, and it also hinted that the Daleks had been responsible for the destruction of his homeworld. Sound familiar? What? <laughs> After just one day of filming, Newman decided that he wasn't entirely happy with the scripts, particularly with how Troughton's Doctor had been written, and ordered some rewrites. Unfortunately, by this time, Whitaker now had other commitments and was unable to do more work on the scripts. Thankfully, another former story editor, Dennis Spooner, was available and was brought in to do some work. He would go without a screen credit, but we all know now about his contributions to this critical chapter in the show's history. Rather fittingly, in the director's chair, they brought back Christopher Barry, who had previously directed four episodes of the very first Dalek story, as well as The Rescue, The Romans, and The Savages. There's clearly a theme of using tried and tested people behind the scenes here. Speaking of which, our old friend Tristan Carey, his score from The Daleks was once again reused here. On this occasion, it was for the very final time. Working on the story as designer was Derek Dodd. This was his first time working on the show, and he'll return once more in season five. Working alongside him as costumer was Sandra Reed returning for a second time, having previously worked on the previous story, The Tenth Planet. We move into our short summary, which this time is in the hands of Julie. We start with a brand new doctor, and he's really, really quiet, and that's just really confusing. Um, so obviously Ben and Polly are like, well, we saw him change in front of our own eyes, so we need to believe that it's him, but is it really him? We're not really sure. And instead of actually talking to them, the doctor pulls out this random, you know, recorder thing and just plays that around. So then they come across these people who are on Vulcan and the doctor yet again pretends to be someone that he's not. And oh, hey, it's that typical. No one saw this coming. The leader of the revolution is actually like working for them at the current moment. <gasps> who knew that that would happen? So a scientist who has decided that he... <clears throat> wants to play in things that he shouldn't be playing with, awakens the Daleks and is, thinks he's that he's in control of them, which he was never in control of them to begin with. So then the Daleks figure out a way that they can move about the entire place because all of the floors are not metal, so there's not static everywhere. And the Doctor realizes this, disables that, and all the Daleks die, and the revolution is ended, and they just leave without anything resolving. Let's talk about it. Episode one. Could I ask what manner everyone watched this? Did they watch the animation or did they watch the loose canon reconstruction? I did the animation. 
As did I. I thought we were all doing the animation. I had all intents and purposes of watching a whole bunch of different ways, but I ended up only watching the animation. I watched the first two episodes, Loose Can Reconstruction, the last four animation, because I found that for some reason, this script, there's so much visually going on. There's not much verbally going on. Just everything's very visual in this series. So I feel like this is something that really had to be watched through the animation because I think it loses a whole hell of a lot if you don't. Even without having watched any of the reconstruction, I did notice that there just weren't as many words said on screen. The doctor was, as I mentioned, very, very quiet throughout most of this. He he didn't say a lot, especially in the first couple of episodes. Well, he was busy with his recorder. Yeah. <laughs> I will say that the loose can reconstructions did have like maybe three second snippets of video where you actually get to see the doctor's mannerisms. And I'm not criticizing the animation because they can't add that to a face because they don't know what his facial reactions were. But it does help to watch a little bit of those clips if you can just to get an idea because that was what I was trying to do. So I'm like, first time introducing a new doctor. Who is this person? What is this character? And I feel like so much of the doctor is about physicality and to not be able to see their face and their expressions is like a huge loss. And I think that's something that we're going to struggle with in general with season four. The second Doctor, and when we get to an episode that actually exists, you will see just how visual he is, and particularly in Patrick Troughton's performance. I think you're absolutely spot on there, Riley. Watching this in animation, the very first thing I noticed is A, the animation's actually in widescreen, which is an interesting directorial choice, given that that's not the aspect ratio it would have been filmed in. B, the cold open and recap wouldn't originally have been a cold open. And then we get that title sequence in widescreen and it's absolutely goddamn stunning. <laughs> <laughs> we are quickly thrust into what we now know as the post-regenerative issues that the Doctor has, but at the time this was a, a new thing, so this wasn't yet regeneration, this was just a, a renewal. Coming to this for, for the first time, I know we've all watched new Doctor Who, what was everyone expecting? to see here in the first story with the new Doctor? Were you expecting something where he wasn't necessarily that well-formed or were you expecting him to get up and just be the Doctor? Did you have any expectations? I wouldn't necessarily say that I had expectations. I was just really intrigued about how they would handle it, what they did with this. And I think you can tell by just like, you look at the plot, you look at who they brought back. There's a whole lot of fear going on in the production right now of making this change. And so the idea was, let's try to get the change over with as quick as possible and try to just immediately just move on to the other track of, hey, everybody, it's a vanilla Dalek story for you. And we got good director coming back, a writer we've used before. We're using the old music. It's just like just like it was before. There's, I think that was the entire idea. And so what was kind of disappointing was that they seemed to push away the, the, the conflict with Ben and Polly of, is this the Doctor? I mean, they do mention it later on, but it doesn't seem like to be something critical with him. Like when you see a new Who, where it's like, that is something that is an issue that lasts for maybe episodes where the person's, the companion's still trying to get comfortable with the new Doctor. I'm not sure if I agree with that assessment. Go right ahead. First, in a fairly quiet part of the first episode, you have Ben being very, very doubtful that this guy is actually the Doctor. You have the Doctor acting incredibly weird, and he continued to act weird during that sequence for most of it, just playing his recorder and talking to himself and having all that terrible noise when he was trying to just focus and concentrate on one thing. And while they do sort of get caught up in the adventure, which I also don't think is a, a standard Dalek plot, because I haven't seen any other of the early stuff where the Daleks are being this cunning. Yes. <laughs> and pretending to be the human servants. I mean, they, they have a plan. It kind of goes back to some of the, the older incarnations where they have the static electricity and you actually see the kind of gross Dalek mutant inside. But they do keep coming back with... Ben consistently doubting, A, that he's the Doctor, and B, if he can be trusted, which, based on the end of the episode, he may have a point, but Polly is always on, on his side. So when they have the time, I thought they, they actually spent more time on that than I was really expecting. Yeah, and then to go off that a little bit, one, the noise, rather concerned rumble, um, so, <laughs> you know, Aww. that's always fun. And then two, yeah, it was, you know, he was talking to himself, and he was talking to himself as if he wasn't the doctor, because he kept on saying that, oh, well, the doctor did this, the doctor did that, as if he wasn't the doctor, which, you know, we've sometimes on occasion seen where, like, the doctor refers to his past self 
a little bit differently than just as himself. But to have that coming in from the first, what we know now is a regeneration, like that's a little unnerving if he's talking to himself as if he's not who he, he is. And then I'll just add that bow ties are cool. <laughs> What's interesting about this to me is they, and by they I mean the production team, particularly Jerry Davis and Innes Lloyd, saw this as a very kind of traumatic metaphysical change. And they talked about it, I think a, a direct quote from their notes about what the experience of regeneration was like is, it is as if he has had the LSD drug and instead of experiencing the kicks, he has the hell and dank horror which can be its effect. So this is meant to be traumatic and a really rough experience for the Doctor. I'm not 100% sure if that comes across on screen except in that early, very early point where he stands up and you, in the animation, I obviously I don't know if this was the case in the real thing, the vision and, and the camera spins. Uh, he, he sees in like I don't know, eight or nine, and, and it spins around. It kind of goes back to that LSD trip notion. This may be where I am at a at disadvantage because for the first episode, I watched it just as the loose cannon reconstruction. It's very difficult to put into an idea of exactly what was going on with just using the same three photo stills. Mm -hmm. That may be what, what's framing my, uh, my view of it. I imagine that would have been very confusing and not nearly as satisfying. To be fair, also, like what Anthony, what you were saying, if you physically changed your entire body, I think that it probably would be a traumatic experience. Oh, 100%. Again, we've had years and years and years of, of you know, New Who and obviously other years. So it's likely that if this was indeed his first regeneration, which I know now that there's conversations about how that works. Um, but if it was truly his first, then it's like, obviously, he would be even more who would not be used to this at all. Um, right. Well, imagine the trauma if you suddenly woke up with a Mo Howard haircut and a penis hat. You'd be freaked out. Too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the hat. The hat. Yeah, I, I think there needs to be a rule that every doctor needs to have a ridiculous hat. Just has to happen. I think he wins automatically because... <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen all of the doctors, but so far, I can't really imagine a hat worse than that. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. it's a little ridiculous. In unless we least. see Colin Baker in a big, huge foam cowboy hat, I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> sure that Trotten wins. That would be that would be my doctor. That would be my, like a like a 1980s like football fan, like giant foam cowboy hat. That's what my doctor would wear. Let's do it, Chibnall, you and me. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Tear. Yeah, I thought the, the, the stovepipe hat was an interesting choice for sure. Did anyone, speaking of the hat, because he was wearing it in this scene, I believe, the, and once again, this may be at the fact that I watched the loose can reconstruction, not the animation. How was it depicted of him transversing the mercury pools and jumping over the rocks? Uh, he's just walking along, reading his diary, just kind of doing it there's one point where he stops and kind of measures a big rock okay but it isn't like does it show him like doing like anything like very physical not really because okay. no. the way the narration and the way that the, the closed captions were working on loose cannon it gave the sense of like he was doing things that were like just very like almost like superhuman easily jumping over a rock or stuff like that and like yeah. when, I'm, when I'm assuming a rock on an alien planet, I'm imagining a large rock. <laughs> you don't need to jump over a small rock. It was a pretty large rock. And while this animation, it you can tell that they put a lot of work into the animation. To do that level of animation is, I don't think it would come across very well um, with the style that they were doing. Yeah, so it's not super yeah. action packed. And for how long this scene lasted, all I could imagine was that is this. The show trying to show us like, hey, our doctor is physically, you know, young and can do things. He isn't an old man. He can do stuff. It takes fewer vacation days. <laughs> isn't sick as often. Yeah, that's. that's I definitely it. wouldn't be surprised if that's what they were going for there. All right. We've traversed some of the mercury. We've come across the dead earth examiner. The doctor steals a button. Yeah, because of course the doctor steals the button. I don't think it would have mattered what it said. I think he would have just taken it. Yeah. And it's just because the doctor loves to do whatever he wants and oftentimes just pretends to be whoever he wants. So I'm not surprised at all. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely an element of his 
personality that's carried over. You know, we've seen him do things like pretend to be um, the liar player in the Romans, for example. Definitely not out of character. He's the ultimate party crasher. He just will just roll with whatever it is, just play that part. I'll just go for it. There was a particular instance when the doctor was like standing abnormally close to somebody, like really, really, really didn't understand personal space. And I'm wondering if that was just a matter of the animation or if he was like getting up in someone's business. A good question. Speaking of the plot, there was one thing that kind of got me, which was during our first scenes where we're getting used to the new doctor, he basically pulls out what we later find to be a handle from a Dalek ship and the way he mentions exterminate it's like he knows before going into this that he's going to be facing the Daleks Mm -hmm. which I thought was really unusual Hmm. and I don't know if there's any fan theories on that it was just just odd but if I recall there are some fan theories on that but who knows whether that was the intent obviously we we make it into the colony and we find out about these experiments and once we get into the capsule there's that really striking image, and I assume this was something they took from photos, of the Daleks covered in cobwebs. And I thought that was just such a cool visual. Oh, that was awesome. Yeah, that, then you get that little glimpse of the Dalek mutant crawling along. Just the whole thing was very cool. I was wondering how effective that mutant glimpse would have been if this, if we had it. You know, Would it look as good as it did in the animation where it scuttles across quickly? There is a still of it in the loose can reconstruction. It looks pretty good. I, I didn't see it move necessarily, but it, it was decent. I think it's something that they could pull off pretty easily. There'd been things of creepy crawly natures already in TV shows and such. So I, I think they could pull that off. Fair. I thought it was a really cool idea as a cliffhanger. If we ever get to actually see this, I, I just hope that it looks as good as it as it did in the animation. That's all. I've heard they've ac- they're actually releasing another version of it with quote-unquote improved animation. So I don't know what they're doing with that that necessitates a re-release, but there you go. Yes, and I've got it on pre-order because of course I do. <laughs> 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 on to episode two. I think we need to discuss who I believe is the character of the entire serial, and that is Lesterson. Isn't he great? Uh, oh, You've got Lesterson. the obsessed scientist that's just slowly losing his mind. It's great. It's a classic character. I think of how he like goes from just determined, throws caution to the wind, I'm going to do this experiment, I don't care what people say, to I think we can understand them and work with them, to oh my god, the horror. It's such a great build up for this character all the way through. When he loses his cool, he really loses his cool. <laughs> and it was, yeah. it was funny too, because like in this first episode, I was like, all right, he has his shit together. And <laughs> Jan Lee is just this random character who, oh, I'm sorry that she was thrown in here. She didn't really seem to be doing much. And then when he starts changing, then she actually like rises up and fills, you know, a different role than the first episode. So I was to a certain degree pleasantly surprised about that because at first I thought she was just going to be a side character that did nothing. Nope. And a moment of silence for poor Resno. (laughs) Speaking of Lesterson, this is before he goes completely off the rails. And that's really nicely contrasted with how the Doctor is protesting the Dalek. And the more and more he protests, the crazier he sounds, while Lesterson is very cool and collected. And we as the audience know that the Doctor is right, but he comes across as almost irrational to everyone else. I thought that was just really well played and presented. Think about the flip of that. Once the Daleks reveal their true nature, it's the doctor who is now seems a bit more calm and Lesterson's lost his mind. Yeah. While this situation is not the normal paradigm that we would see with the Daleks, and you've got at the very end of the episode, the more and more the doctor protests, the Dalek just yells over him, I am your servant. I am your servant. <laughs> Repeatedly, like it's just shouting him down and winning that argument. Yeah. One of the things that I really liked about this serial was throughout it, there is just this palpable sense of tension because we as the Mm -hmm. audience know what the Daleks are capable of. We know what they're going to do, but we don't really know how they're going to go about doing it or when it's going to happen. So you've got all these different human characters with their little plans and you see how they evolve and all that kind of stuff. But we know that it's just going to destroy all of them. (laughs) (laughs) And just just (laughs) waiting for that moment to happen, I thought was really well done. 
Yeah. When you think about the last time we saw the Daleks, that was in the Daleks master plan. So we've come off the back of this big, bombastic, universe-threatening Dalek story to this one that's a lot more quiet and you get that menace bubbling from underneath and we really do know what they're capable of, but they're not at that same scale yet. And I think that's a disaster waiting to happen. I would like to pose a question. Do you think that this serial would have been better if it was a different creature or alien instead of the Daleks, in which the audience had no idea, in which the audience could have believed that it could have gone either way? No. No? No. Okay. <laughs> I think that tension is is 100% part of what makes this so brilliant. They would have had to make some changes to the script to build up the tension just with music and the way it's shot so you know something bad's going to happen. But here mm. it's just built in because we know that they're Daleks. Right. We know all right. about it. Yeah. But even those shots of the spider webs and the, the Caleb mutant, it kind of gives that impression. There's something definitely just creepy about it. I think the only other monster we've had so far that this could have worked with was the Vord. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I took so much pleasure in the fact that they referred to a Dalek part as the sucker stick. <laughs> they specifically yes. said that. And yes. I also really enjoyed the Dalek POV shots. Maybe I'm a child of my age, but every single time they did that shot, I kept thinking of the Love Boat opening <laughs> title sequence. The extermination boat. <laughs> so I wanted to touch upon one of the moments with the companions, and that was when they were eating the fruit. When it first started, I was like, why in the world is there fruit? This seems like really bizarre. And he's, and then all of a sudden, Ben is yelling. Ben continually throughout this entire serial ends up yelling at the doctor in almost every single episode. Because again, it's that he doesn't trust the doctor. And so he just goes about yelling at him. So I just found that interesting. There was also a Marco Polo reference. There was. Yes. That I really enjoyed. And mm -hmm. oh, hey, look, the fruit was bugged because why not? And he went, you know, fruit ninja on it. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of references, just to go back to episode one, there was also a reference to the crusade when they pulled the cutlass out of the chest. Oh, yeah. I think Ben is a surrogate for people that are having a hard time adjusting or getting used to a new doctor. Because you're right, Julie, he shows a lot of just irritation and annoyance with the doctor in this episode, in, in this entire serial. He is a surrogate for loud, irritated, confused people everywhere. <laughs> yes, basically. <laughs> Especially with how frustrated he was with the recorder, which, you know, can't necessarily blame him on that one. He does have a point. <laughs> he does have a point about that. Yes, he does. While we're talking about that, what are people's thoughts about that? The recorder as a character trait? Could have been worse. It could have been spoons. <laughs> Just throwing shade. <laughs> Don't knock the spoons. I will cut you, Don. As a musician who has had to deal with percussionists, thank God he wasn't a drummer. Like, I will take the recorder over someone beating everything with drumsticks at two o'clock in the morning any day. I got it. We have the large foam cowboy hat, musical instrument for my new doctor. Bobby McFerrin, just <laughs> hitting himself, making his own noises. So yes, I don't hate the recorder. Okay. Did anyone else get a kick out of the Lesserson trying to get the Dalek to turn on scene? <laughs> I, I, all I could watch was just, just could not help but like say to myself, like, have they turned, turn, have they tried turning them off and then on again to get the Dalek to work? That actually reminds me of the thing you missed that made me laugh so hard, which was realizing just how literal the title is. Power of the Daleks. And the whole thing is just them, you know, trying to get literal power, static electricity to run on. <laughs> Speaking of which, this is the first time we get a title that's the blank of the Daleks. This becomes like quite the running theme. Yeah, yeah. well, I'm still regretting the you know, no episode titles. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of which, let's move on to my favorite titled episode, episode three. So at this point, I realize why do all the costumes of the colonists make them look like they're dentists? Yeah, that's an interesting choice. It really is. I'm not saying it's necessarily terrible, but it just made them look all like dentists. There's that. There's also like Polly was wearing shorts for some reason. And go take a take a dip in the mercury pool. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. Seriously though, has anyone else on this recording ever worn scrubs before? No. Yes, actually. They're very comfortable, so I'm not sure I blame them all. 
I did like <laughs> that they all wore name tags because I am terrible with names and it made it a whole lot easier. Yes, I'm with you on that. Yeah, before I could catch one of the names, I thought it was uh, Reagan and then it was Bragan and I was like, oh. Yeah, I got that too. He's Reagan forever in my heart because that's <laughs> that's what I thought it was. Well, it, it was around this time that Ronald Reagan was running to be governor of California as well. Wow, you're right. At this time, I think it was Lesterson was so excited about the Dalek being able to answer like rudimentary Ask Jeeves questions um, <laughs> about like chemical formulas and stuff. One thing I found fascinating here was Lesterson believing that the Dalek was a robot with a positronic brain. I mean, he has no idea what he's dealing with. You know, he thinks that this is something out of Asimov and what's inside it is more like something out of Lovecraft. I can just imagine the Dalek mutant inside just rolling its eyes and trying to contain <laughs> its anger as this guy makes it do basic math. <laughs> it's like, God, cannot wait to exterminate well, you. These poor Daleks debase themselves so much in this story. They must be seething the whole we, way through. That's why they, they should have not called it the power of the Daleks. They should have called it the humiliation of the Daleks. <laughs> And the other thing, too, because like he's supposed to be such a great scientist. And I'm like, the first thing you didn't think to do is to take it apart. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's the first thing that you do is you take it apart to figure out how it works. So it's like, oh, you never once thought to look inside to see what was happening there. And that seems like a smart idea. Didn't find the gooey center. No. Speaking of which, there's that scene where the doctor basically forces the Dalek to tell him that it's his servant. And the Dalek just kind of struggles. Like, the Dalek knows who he is. <laughs> which is something else that tells the audience, yes, this is the doctor. I thought, A, that was hilarious. And B, such a cool little nod and a way of mm -hmm. reassuring everyone. I was sad that Polly was used as a damsel in distress uh, starting in this episode. It doesn't really do much. No, it doesn't. I don't think it was supposed to because she was on vacation. Yeah, I was going to say it, it got Annika Wills her, her holiday. If they were going to do that, they could have at least like showed the doctor and Ben trying harder to get her back, but that didn't really happen. The doctor's been doing this a while. He knows they're going to be okay. Just leave him alone for a couple episodes. He'll be fine. <laughs> He's still trying to get Camptown races done on his recorder. That's what all he wants to do. Priorities. <laughs> uh, can someone tell me, maybe I missed this, what was driving the revolution? Was there anything, any like background as to explain like why there's a revolution or bread prices high? I don't know. It's the 60s, man. Everyone's revolting. There was no reason given. I thought it was just Bregan had somehow started this revolution to cause problems. I'm not sure what his, his actual methods were. But using that to cause the problems that would lead to him basically taking over. I think one thing to keep in mind here is this is the 60s. I facetiously said it's the 60s, man. But there are armed struggles for independence going on across the world between former colonies of colonial powers, the Soviet satellite states. This is something that's happening. And I think this is very much an instance of whether or not it's stated in screen, it's TV reflecting what's going on in the world. Yeah, because I think the way that you could look at it is because they were on a different planet. They were on Vulcan. You had people from Earth coming to like examine the place. And I'm sure that they were running as a military-esque science-led organization that was kind of in charge. And so the people who ended up colonizing there were probably like, we don't want to be ruled by Earth anymore. We want to just be our own thing. So that's likely the direction they were going, but they didn't explicitly state that. No taxes without representation. We'll throw the tea into space. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, fair enough. I mean, I think with that or just give us a person's blind ambition for just power would have been fine. I don't know. I, I think that was a missed opportunity. My next comment after the revolution was Ben is even more shouty because <laughs> he went on one of his next rants. Right after that, I think when they were, because I think it was Ben and the doctor kind of talking with the Dalek and the Dalek almost made a mistake by saying it was better than humans. And you yes. could see it catch itself. And it was just like, oh man, like we know. And that's the other thing is that drives the tension of we know and we're like, it almost made a mistake and it didn't. And it was so close to being resolved right then. What's really cool about how the Daleks are here is they're manipulating Lesterson. The one Dalek then starts to revive the other Daleks. And just when you think that they are about to take over because you've, you've suddenly got three Daleks, they disarm themselves and you're just left thinking, what the hell are they doing? And they're playing the long game. 
that was what I was just about to say. They're playing this wonderful long game <laughs> because they keep on tricking Lesterson into trusting them and giving them more and more things that they ask for. So, hey, you know, here, build me an Apple II and build me this. And before you know it, they're rewiring <laughs> all the electricity. I mean, I also had a comment of the Daleks willing to play the long game. So we were all on the same page, guys. There we go. Yep. <laughs> I think it was at the end of this episode when the Daleks gather together and do the chant of we will get our power. <laughs> I think when, when Lesterson is watching that, I just couldn't help but think of the classic Arrested Development line. I've made a huge mistake. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, they do do a lot of chanting in these. They have the "We will get our power," and then the "We are the new race of Daleks." They're they're very chanty. Yeah, they're very very chanty. I like it. And the, the they did some weird things with the audio with them on that too. Like the like staggeredness. Usually they are usually chant all together, but it was very staggered. And Don and I think Julie, I think you've both made the point that it's like suddenly they remembered the whole static electricity thing from the very first Dalek story after being completely ignored the last right? three times we saw them. Which I'm fine with. Yep. I, I like it when they have these weird little limitations, especially because they're mm -hmm. so arrogant of how they're the best things ever, but they've got to have, you know, an electrified bumper car thing going on to move. <laughs> I like that better than the time-traveling, world-conquering Daleks. That's just me. Right. Yeah. The flying Daleks. The creatures defeated by shag carpeting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Riley, I think you were going to move us along to episode four, right? Uh, episode four, yeah. I, I cleared up the ending of episode three, which I enjoyed thoroughly. I think episode four had, as we talk about the humiliation of the Daleks, the point in episode four where the Dalek said, I obey. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it sounded so sad. <laughs> so... <laughs> when the Dalek brought water to Lesterson, I thought you could hear the resentment in its voice. They're just so well played here. I love the doctor using a chair to protect himself. Oh, yes. Yeah. And he's just like hiding behind it, like looking and like he never puts it down. And like the Dalek keeps proving to everyone that he's good. And the doctor's just like, nope, hiding behind the chair. And of course, it's the doctor who suddenly picks up that there are now four Daleks. No one else notices it mm. at this point. And then suddenly it hits a point where they are everywhere. And only the doctors picked up on it at this point in time. I really like that the Daleks got together and were discussing, okay, no more than three Daleks can be seen in one place at any yeah. one time. Yeah. Just really keeping their stuff secret. I think this was the first episode where Lesterson really started to crack because he suddenly got the idea that the stuff that he thought was his idea about giving them access mm -hmm. to this to build all this kind of stuff was like, oh no, what have I done? He's already started questioning it. Why do they need so many resources? And then the doctor tells him there's a fourth Dalek moving around and that nothing is beyond them given the right materials. And that's when Lesterson really starts to crack. Is it the end of episode four where he has the, the full re revelation of seeing the production line? Yes. Because that, that is when he totally loses it. Yeah, this is all building up to the end of the episode. I think that would have been really, really good to see proper video, especially with how they set it up with the cobweb shot. Mm -hmm. So is this Dalek ship bigger on the inside? It definitely looks like it. Because I was very confused by the scale because he said, oh, we found this <laughs> in a mercury pool and hauled it out. But there's this huge area of manufacturing. Like, how did you fit this thing in the building? <laughs> I would guess that it must be. I think it really could have used a little a vignette in the middle where a couple of Daleks are back in the ship near the production line, like at a water cooler, bitching about how they have to serve Lesterson. <laughs> And would you believe Lesterson made me mop his brow? <laughs> yeah, this basically the entire serial is Lesterson treating a Dalek like an Alexa. <laughs> Plus, yeah. you know, the the culmination of the rebellion turning out that Bregan, despite being deputy governor, is also the leader of the rebels. Gotta have a side hustle. Oh. <laughs> Uh, Bregan. Yeah, I mean, obviously the attention here is toward the Daleks. That is the savior of the show in the second episode and, you know, the driver of the show. And But uh, yeah, it 
I think we can all agree that our human colonists could have done with a little bit more depth. I think the rebellion from a narrative perspective really is there to show the difference between the Daleks and the humans. While they are a united front, we are busy squabbling among ourselves and making ourselves vulnerable. For selfish reasons. I was thinking that that was maybe the very intriguing aspect of it all was that, especially with that long shot of going through all the dead bodies, both the rebels and the, I guess I say non-rebels, since I don't really know what everyone stands for. That long shot of all those dead bodies is just indicative of that maybe in warfare and rebellions that there's evil entities out there. They're just trying to use it as an opportunity for themselves. Maybe that's part of the point of the, or that maybe a message of the serial. And there are some things that you just can't control. I mean, that was Bregan's whole thing was he was basically trying to play chess with everything to put himself in charge. He, I yeah. mean, he even says that I am the master of the Daleks. How'd that work out for you, buddy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then in episode six, when Bregan talks to the Daleks, like over the PA system, it's like, I'm the governor. You must mm-hmm. listen to me. <laughs> it's just so <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> even that scene in episode five, where one Dalek turns to the other and asks, why do human beings kill human beings? Beat yeah. me to it, Anthony. Sorry. Because some people decided to jump ahead. <laughs> I got told. Well, while we're on it, let's let's talk about that more. That's the key line, isn't it? I mean, we've beaten episode four to death. Episode five, let's go. This is our full Lesterson bug out episode. <laughs> I don't know. He's also yeah. pretty bugged out and yeah. crazy during the, in a bit of episode six. This is a start because he's just seen the Dalek assembly line. He escalates and it's wonderful. What's really striking here is the Doctor's been telling everyone the Daleks are up to no good. Now suddenly Lesterson, their biggest proponent, is starting to tell everyone something's not right here and everyone just thinks he's going crazy and cracking under the pressure. They totally gaslight him. Yeah. Like Julie was saying, I originally thought Jamley was just going to be a nothing background character, but even though she's more or less evil, she's pretty badass. When she stands there behind um, the remains yeah. of the, the two inches of, of steel or whatever it is and says, okay, try it on me. And then yeah. she, she you know manipulates the thing with basically trying to convince Lesterson that he's crazy. And I think he actually starts to believe her for a second because he's so, <laughs> so far gone. Yeah. I mean, everyone starts to gaslight him because everyone's looking at the Daleks as their opportunity to be the winning side. Yeah. And none of them realize that no one's going to win with the Daleks involved. Right. One thing that I was sad about is, so you have the doctor who had been thrown in jail, figures out how to open the door. And I was like, oh man, this better pay off. And it didn't because he finds himself going back to jail. (laughs) (laughs) And I was just like, well, that was useful. Good job. It just seems like the doctor could have done a little bit more because like they brought the doctor out of jail He gives a little bit of dialogue and then he goes back to jail. So it's just kind of like, all right, he just came out to, you know, throw some words around and then go back in. So he didn't get to really be the doctor really until this, until episode six. Yeah. In this episode, when he's in jail trying to open the door, he really gives zero dams about who he annoys. He's like, I'm going to be annoying because it's just going to, going to work. I kind of love that about this doctor. But in all fairness, he was quite annoying. (laughs) Yes. It's like, okay, how many different frequencies can I do? Also, like, they just gave him a crystal glass in the jail cell. That's one fancy jail. Really was. <laughs> that recorder had, to, there's so many people probably watching that originally watching it on the original airing of it and like, that's it. The recorder paid off. We don't have to hear it again. It's over. <laughs> <laughs> the decadence of the, uh, crypto-fascist bourgeoisie in giving everyone crystal glasses will come back to bite them on the ass. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, episode five, I mean, I don't know if there's much else going on with it. I mean, other than Lesterson and the Doctor's escape. This is really our culmination of that tension episode. The governor comes mm-hmm. back, mm-hmm. thinks he's going to be, you know, picking up oh, right that's where right. left over. He gets killed by the Dalek. The Dalek finish their horrible breeding program and they're ready to go out and, and do what we've been waiting and expecting them to do at any point in time. One thing I picked up on, there were a lot of Daleks in the animation. I don't recall whether they had more Dalek props or whether they once again used cardboard cutouts. I think they used cardboard cutouts. Also, and I meant to mention this way back then, I forgot. Apparently in the promotional trailer for this, it gives the year this takes place, which is the far off future year of 2020. Oh, (laughs) 
So have we all moved to Vulcan to escape the coronavirus? Coronavirus, Daleks, it's just a bad year. (laughs) Don't forget the murder hornets. I'd move to Vulcan. I think I could take on a few Daleks. They have lovely prisons. Sunbathe at their luxurious mercury pools. Go to jail, drink out of crystal glasses. <laughs> Participate in local politics that will turn into a rebellion. We do end this episode with the Daleks doing my favorite thing, which is pledging to destroy all humans. Ah, I mean, they say exterminate, yes. but it's less dramatic. Speaking of Daleks talking, there was this one scene where they're in a hallway. There are two Daleks. Some humans run by... And then one of the Daleks, his his stalk turns around to talk to the other one. I think he says something like the humans will be exterminated, but he says it in such a way it looks like high school girls gossiping and talking crap about each other. (laughs) (laughs) It actually made me laugh out loud because just he said it in such a little if a Dalek can be catty. He said it in that manner. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. That's the kind of characterization we haven't had with the Daleks before, and I am so here for it. All right, so episode six. We start off with the Daleks absolutely swarming out of the capsule, which I loved the way that was animated and the cinematography of that. I thought that was beautiful and genuinely terrifying. Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. It looked great in the animation. It seemed obviously because they're kind of a robotic shell, it's a lot easier to animate Daleks than it is human beings. And so it mm-hmm. always looks good when they do it. Right. This is happening at the same time that Jan Lee's proclaiming that the revolution is over and that they've won, and now you've got the Daleks going on the rampage. I mean, it's just brutal. And she finally realizes that Bregan would totally shoot her without any regret. (laughs) Bregan wants everyone dead. Yeah. Bregan's just a dick. (laughs) He meets a great end. How disrespectful it is, even to a villain. Like, he doesn't even get, like, a glorious death. He's just shot and he slumps over, like, at the top of a stair. And they just happen to, like, walk by him like, oh, okay, so what do you want for breakfast? Uh, Okay. (laughs) Can we discuss how Lesterson has taken his final form at this point? (laughs) When he makes the comment, when he says something about the point of, like, I'd marvel at what is taking our place and refers to the Daleks. How he talks about them taking our place, like as like a new species or something. He's he he has gone from bold scientists, mad scientists, horrified scientists, and now he's gone all the way over to like Ash from a, the original I Alien. I was just film. about to say that, so I'm very glad you picked <laughs> up on that. I was waiting for him to say the I admire its purity. Lesterson is the heartbeat of this entire serial. I completely agree with you. And then there's Velmar, who happens to show up, and he just kind of just goes with whoever side's winning. The ultimate mercenary. (laughs) Did I imagine it? Suddenly we get mention of a secret cable feeding them power that Valmar laid. I'm like, did I miss that? Yeah, you missed that. You totally missed that. That was a big plot point. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was probably busy writing. Yeah, I was probably busy scrolling my notes and just missed it. Yeah, no, that was a big plot point. I think it started in, like, what, episode... Three, maybe? I mean, they have a thing with, with a Dalek holding the, the, the cable. They're asking him what he's doing. This was when they were, they were yeah. gaslighting Oh, I Lester's did see thing. that. Like, I'm, I'm doing yeah. the power, just like you asked, boss. Tee-hee. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, I, I do remember that now you mention it. While the Daleks are going around killing everybody, they had some really great shots of Daleks looking at people as they killed them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was just really fun to like see that perspective, especially when it's juxtaposed against Holly, who just goes hysterical and doesn't do anything because she's not as badass as Barbara or Vicky. Yeah. yeah. We also get Lesterson's end. Oh. Poor guy. I gave you life. You wouldn't kill me. I gave you life. <laughs> Let me serve you. No, nope, you've served your purpose. Exterminate. It ain't personal. It's just business. <laughs> The end, where the Daleks destroy their own power supply, trying to kill the Doctor. It seems rather abrupt, was what I thought. You have all of this build up, build up, build up, Dalek rampage, and it's over extremely quickly. Was anyone else a little disappointed by that? I was disoriented by it, because in the animation, it seems... Did the Doctor take a couple shots? On that? Did he take a couple hits? Because it looked like he did. Yeah. It's hard to say because I always do the, the white out of the screen anytime they shoot, so it's hard to be specific. Yeah. It showed him like bending down, and I don't know how direct in the, the ray of light that you have to be in, I guess, for however their weapon works. Yeah. I don't mind it being quick. I think it would have made more sense if, as opposed to them just shooting the power supply and the power supply going out, if it would have been something more along the lines of the doctor had fiddled with it and caused some sort of power surge or something. 
I thought I thought that's what he did. Was it? Because like I thought that's what it was, and then you just mentioned that they shot. Yeah, I mean he thing. was fiddling with it, but then they also shot it too. I thought he was messing with it to overload the power, and that's why these, I mean, frankly, ungrateful colonists were complaining about how their power supply was out and it'll take forever to yes. fix. And it seemed to me that they were specifically blaming him for messing with it. Yeah. Mm. Because I'm okay with that being the case because the doctor did a doctor thing. The doctor uses his intelligence and he figures out a way to destroy the Daleks as quickly and efficiently as possible. I'm actually okay with that. That's fair. I didn't think it was just them shooting it. That's, I got, yes, doctor doing doctor thing. Yeah. I got that he was trying to and then they went to shoot him. He dodged. They destroyed their own power by accident. But, you know, I, I, I agree there's some level of ambiguity in the animation. We are left with the Doctor being somewhat quizzical and mischievous on his involvement with the end of it at the end. It reminded me of Hartnell giggling as Rome burned. <laughs> yes. And how when Polly asked him if he knew what he was doing, he just chuckles. I mean, that, that seemed very hard. <laughs> I loved that moment. As we've reached the end of the story, the question I have for the group is, are you convinced by the new Doctor or do you need a little more time? I'm convinced, but also you didn't mention that closing shot. Right? Yeah. Come on, dude. The Dalek that's still alive? Yeah, just the eye stalk oh, slowly yes. rising up. So you're like, okay, are they going to you know, be able to wipe out the entire colony or you know, what's going on? It was very much sequel bait in a horror movie. Yeah. Very much like that. It's almost like the end of Flash Gordon, which admittedly, you know, wouldn't be filmed for another 15 years, but the end, yeah. question mark, with Ming the Merciless cackling over it. Yeah, great, great shot. But in answer to your question, yeah, I, I really like Troughton. I need a little bit more time. I had seen some Troughton episodes that were fully complete. I had seen those, but that was many years ago. I didn't have issues with them then. So, but I feel like to get a true understanding of this doctor requires you to watch him from the very beginning onward, especially how he deals with companions, new companions and the loss of companions and so on. I think that also I'm not a fan of the recorder, but I, <laughs> I'm not saying that I am, I dislike him. I just say I need a little more time. Okay. Julie. I think that it's him, but I also think that the doctor doesn't know exactly who he is either. Because, you know, oftentimes when there's a regeneration, there's still that time period in which they're still trying to figure themselves out. And I think that that's still the case here in that there's a bit more to see before we can really establish him as the doctor. Got it. Before we wrap up, I did want to touch on the music. This was the first and only time that that score has been reused that I actually thought it worked. I agree with that. I agree too. <laughs> Previously, The Rescue and The Ark, it was written for the Daleks and it didn't work out of context, but here it's reused for a Dalek story. A lot of those sounds for me are synonymous with that first Dalek story and it really just gives this a nice throwback to that story and, and really anchors this in the show's history. Really, really like that. As we've wrapped up the discussion of the story, we move on to our metrics. Camp count, any nominations? Not for camp, I don't think so. The only thing I thought of was Lesterson was a bit over the top at times, but I yeah. really enjoyed it. And that fit with his arc. Should we give him a one? Him point five and Bregan point five. Okay, yep, so one overall for the story. The I'll explain later count, Don, anything? I don't think so. And then Quarry Quarry, this was entirely studio bound, so there were no quarries involved here. Which takes us on to our ratings. Riley, we will start with you this time. So, after you, sir. Oftentimes when we do our ratings, you go into it with the rating that you've written down or in your head, and then you discuss it, and you hear everyone else's opinions, and they turn you on to different aspects of it that you didn't appreciate as much, and that is uh, what's happened here. I originally went into this with a mediocre score because I felt like we were doing things that were very paint by numbers and that everyone was playing things very safe and kind of like generic human colony with a revolution. We've seen this before. The doctor masquerades as someone. We've seen that before. The female companion gets kidnapped. It felt very generic and paint by numbers. And it's like they wanted to play safe because they have a new doctor. After discussing with everyone and seeing like how the Daleks were played in a different way, how the story builds and the plot and appreciating Lesterson more and more, uh, I will say that I will give this a 7 out of 10 useless rebellions. Okay, I'm up next. 
There are two Dalek stories in season four. So later in the season, we'll get to the evil of the Daleks, which previously I always thought was the superior of the two. That said, the last time I watched Power of the Daleks, it was the recon and not the animation. And the animation, I think, has given me a very different perspective. What I really love here is I feel like we're starting off the Troughton era very, very strong. We've got an aspect of the Daleks we haven't necessarily seen before. We have some wonderful performances. I just found that I really, really enjoyed this far more than I ever remember enjoying this. I would go as far as to say that I give this nine forgotten power cables out of ten. Don, you're up next. This is one of the few serials that once I started watching it, I wound up basically binging it for everything except the last episode. I really liked the way that the Daleks were portrayed. I liked they were just more cunning rather than, you know, completely wanting to, to wreak destruction. I enjoyed watching all the little human plans fall apart. I liked the fact that it's almost a base under siege episode, but the base doesn't realize they're under siege. And by the time that they realize, hell, we've screwed up, it's too late, and there's just a huge massacre. I like the different way that the Doctor is being portrayed, especially because you get little hints that they've tried to bring back many times over the years where you're never quite sure if you can trust the Doctor. You've got Lesterson starting out kind of normal and then just losing his mind You've got the great things of the Dalek breeding and building up their numbers and manipulating people into giving them power. This has been my favorite serial in a long, long time. I'm giving it nine bodies in mercury pools out of ten. Ooh, good denominator there, Don. Julie, over to you. So a lot of the high points are um, a lot of the topics that everyone else has stated. So I'm just going to kind of focus on some of the things that I thought were missed. I wouldn't even necessarily say opportunities, but we'll go with that word. How many times do we have to use the Daleks music? Because I recognize that. This is the last one. <laughs> I know, but I recognize it every time I hear it. And I'm just like, again and again. Obviously, that's something that I kind of harp on. I didn't really like how the companions were used. Uh, you basically had Ben, who was just anti-doctor and was shouty and didn't do anything. And then Polly, who supports the doctor, gets kidnapped and doesn't do anything. So that's always disappointing because I like when the companions are a little bit more involved in the story arc. And I think this could have been tightened up a little bit. I think it could have been five episodes instead of six. Not necessarily all the way down to four. And maybe it would have helped if I didn't watch it all in one day. So I'm going to give it seven crystal glasses in a jail cell out of ten. <laughs> Fantastic. And that gives us a story average of 8 out of 10, which is pretty good. That's our highest of the season, of the very short season so far. With that, we are just about out of time. We will be back next time when we head off to the set of Outlander. I mean, the aftermath of the Battle of Culloden for a fun historical romp. In the meantime, all of our previous episodes are available on your favorite podcasting app. You can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Watchers4D. And as a reminder, you can always also email us at Watchers4D at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe. Please leave us a review or rating on your favorite podcasting app. All of those things really do help the show. But for now, thank you very much for listening and have a good one. You have been listening to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension with Don Smith, Riley Shrek, Julie Philippeck, and myself, Anthony Williams. This episode, Don't Forget the Murder Hornets, was recorded on Wednesday the 6th of May 2020. And always remember, when the First Doctor said, it's far from being all over, he meant it. And this story is proof. <laughs>